everyone, and welcome to the AWS for Software Companies podcast, where we talk to software leaders from around the world about their journeys to the cloud, overcoming challenges, and the role that Amazon Web Services play in their success. And today, episode number one, we're talking data, specifically leveraging data as an engine for growth. Today's discussion was part of the AWS for Software Companies experience, an exclusive gathering of executives and software companies from around the world. And this discussion in particular features several key industry leaders sharing their experiences on how they use data to extract value and drive their businesses forward. In this episode, we talk to Elise Bergeron, Vice President of Product Marketing for Snowflake, Yenon Kostika, Founder and Chief Product Officer for Wiz, and Seshu Adunathula, Head of Artificial Intelligence and Machine Learning for the data platform for Kubang. Let's hear how these industry leaders are using data as an engine for growth. So uh, welcome everybody, please take a seat. I'll just kick off introducing myself. My name's Barry Morris. Uh, and I'm the GM of a number of our database services. I work very closely with the leadership of all of the database services, as well as the analytics services and the AI and ML services in AWS. And of course, the common theme is data, data, data. And uh, one of the things that we've been seeing uh, more and more is not just on the ISV and product side of things, but across our customer base is more and more customers that are being data-driven and striving to, be, to build data-driven organizations. Uh, that's much of what, we've, what we're here to talk about today. And, and really, I suppose the question is, what, what's that all about and why? As we're trying to build, and we're doing as, as much as you are, trying to build products that are much loved and uh, eagerly adopted by customers, sort of product-led growth kinds of things, the way to do that is to be data-driven. The way to do that is to use customer data, product data, infrastructure data uh, to refine that and optimize that. Equally, in terms of competition with the, the speed of software development nowadays, with the agility of it, uh, competition comes from adjacent markets and adjacent uh, segments, and, uh, and people are moving fast. How do you beat that? How do you get to really separate yourself uh, and differentiate yourself from, from those competitors? Again, being data-driven is what we're seeing with our customers in terms of where to go. And, and, and lastly, the opportunity to really sort of monitor and observe your systems, uh, track what's going on inside them, and, and deliver observability and security and so forth uh, from that. And all of that sort of really sort of amounts to the, the, the topic for today, which is how are the significant software companies out there using data to drive themselves across the board, not just for product development, but for marketing and for product roadmap and, and, and all of those things. Um, so that's really what, what this is about. I'm very uh, pleased to have a panel here with me of accomplished executives from across the industry. I'm going to introduce them in a moment and let them, let them introduce themselves. But just um, in terms of headlines, let me first introduce Elise Bergeron, who is the VP of Product Marketing for Snowflake. Uh, the great thing about Snowflake is that not only are they a data-driven business, but of course they're helping to create data-driven businesses uh, for, their, for their customers. Secondly, let me introduce Yinon Kostika, who is the founder and, and chief product officer of Wiz. 
uh, which is a cybersecurity company and really sort of targeted at protecting your, your cloud ass assets from intruders. Um, I'm keen to hear what he's got to say about how they're building a data-driven company. And lastly is Sashu Adunatula, um, who's, uh, amongst other things, in the past has been involved in eBay and Intuit. Today is heading up AI and ML and the data platform for uh, Coupang, which uh, you can think of as the sort of Amazon.com for South Korea. So um, let's jump straight into it. I'd like the panelists to introduce themselves, but also as part of that to give us, us an idea of how they see the opportunity is to use data to drive value in their system. So with that, I'm going to pass, uh, pass it over to Jan in and ask him how, uh, how he sees that. Yeah, uh, thank you. So uh, first, uh, as, as mentioned, I'm Inon Kostika, running product management and one of the co-founders for Wiz. Uh, we are operating in a space that is cloud security. Um, security as a whole was uh, going, I think is going today through uh, really a re revolution in how uh, security products are using data. Uh, traditional models were really focused on um, scanning, providing lists of things to do or findings. And I think that the need to drive business value and outcomes and not just uh, um, identifying problems actually drove the market and we specifically used it in order to use a lot of different data to create context around it and meaningful insights. So the transitions that we've had is actually from using the typical relational databases and so on. And I saw the previous session was asking, we are one of the largest uh, uh, AWS Neptune uh, implementations. So we are using Graph in order to contextualize all of this data at scale. And I think that the ability to use the data to provide the context, this is what really drives a lot of the value that customers see uh, in Wiz, which is an a red, red, red market in cloud security, but still we are achieving, you know, uh, really fast uh, uh, growth rates, uh, actually the fastest growth rates, uh, um, thanks to the use of the data. We can talk about it also uh, later if you want to dig, dig deeper, but the concept of the data model that we're using is also something that's worth mentioning. The data model that we are creating to talk about cloud security is something that is really at the core of how we use data effectively across different clouds, different architectures, different trees, and this drives additional value to customers. So this helped us to scale. So yeah, and that's a, it's, it's clear that you're using data really as part of the customer value. It's really how you deliver the value of security. Um, at least I think for you it's slightly different. Perhaps you can give us your view. Sure. Uh, so hi, everyone. I'm Elise. As Barry said, I lead product marketing at Snowflake. So I'm responsible for product, partner, uh, DevRel, and community. Uh, data is kind of everything to Snowflake, as you alluded to. So you know what we offer to our customers is a data cloud. And that really has two components. It's a platform that enables you to run all of your data workloads, whether that's data warehousing, data lake, data engineering, data science, data applications, et cetera. Um, on top of a single platform. Um, but also, what we, when we talk about the data cloud, we talk about kind of the content that's available in that cloud. So we have you know, a marketplace and data sharing capabilities that when you kind of start using Snowflake, you can instantly connect to your partners, your suppliers, to third-party data sets. So there's kind of this really inter, you know, interconnected universe of data. 
Um, so, you know, as you can imagine, given we are all about enabling our customers to use data to drive their businesses, we use data in literally everything we do. So every part of the Snowflake organization, whether it's, you know, my team's focused on go-to-market or the product development organization or finance or HR, you know, each of us uses and dog foods our own product uh, in a different way. Okay, wow. So, uh, your, 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 of course, yours is a very different kind of a business. Yes, it um, is. A lot of B2C stuff and so on. Um, how would you see it? All right. Uh, thanks, Barry. Um, uh, show of hands, how many people know about Coupang? Anyone heard about that? Uh, not bad, actually. So the uh, tech press actually calls us as um, the Amazon of South Korea. Um, in some tiny little ways, I think we are slightly better than Amazon. <laughs> but I think some of the, um, it's got 18 million, um, 18 million customers. Like if you look at um, South Korea, it's on total 51 million new, uh, population. So it's the most of the families in South Korea in one way or the other have actually bought on the Coupang platform. Uh, there have 9 million members, or subscription members. Um, they have some really interesting uh, products, but one of the things is that don't delivery, order anything the day before, and it is available at your doorstep the next day before dawn. Um, uh, frictionless returns, um, there is a little box that sits outside your apartment. If you decide you don't want it, you go drop in the box and it's taken care of. Um, really, really cool stuff. I think if you go and live there, like you would see there is so, so many interesting things you can uh, do with the whole e-commerce thing, right? They have other products as well. Uh, there is um, a streaming platform, they call the Coupang Play, and then an Eats, um, the Coupang Eats, which is a food delivery, uh, food delivery infrastructure. Um, so I manage the uh, data platform at Coupang. Um, data is, is the underpinning for a lot of services that we provide. And um, for the specific question, I think the Barry was asking, I was thinking about, um, I was trying to differentiate between uh, some of the product companies. Like I had the opportunity to work at Oracle and Microsoft, and more recently I've been with um, eBay, uh, Intuit, and um, now at Coupang. The, um, the consumer B2C companies, I think they have actually done a lot in terms of their ability to use um, the customer data. They, uh, this specific uh, one of the platforms I manage is the experimentation platform. We have the ability to get variety of data streams. You get the data streams from uh, Clickstream. You know what the customer is buying. You get the, uh, the sales data. You get your customer support data. You get your, um, um, you, and you are able to deliver the features that the customers are looking for, right? For example, within uh, Coupang, we have a 1,000 experiments running at any point in time. They are creating um, uh, close to this, uh, around 50 to 60,000 variations of the experiences that the customers are, uh, are able to experience. And then we are able to determine what is the right uh, product feature. Uh, the transition that we are seeing with respect to the, um, the SaaS as well as most of the product offerings going into the cloud, we can, um, we can imagine that type of, um, uh, that type of customer um, ability to understand the customer can happen with the product companies as well. I don't see that as being too far-fetched. But let me probably pause there and then say, um, that's, that's me. I manage the data platform here at Copang. Right. Excellent, excellent. So um, the world has changed, hasn't it, um, you know, with the cloud and so forth. Um, we now have the access to the data, and we have the ability to exploit data, and we've got the tools increasingly 
to get at that data. I suppose the question, and this is for, for, for all of you, uh, the question I have is, uh, what do you think the biggest opportunity is going forward in terms of using data uh, in, uh, in developing software products? So uh, basically, I think that there are um, the need to consolidate what we use to be multiple tools uh, results in the end in uh, using data in a more creative manner, right? So uh, when we look at uh, customers that use Wiz today, so actually Wiz goes in and replaces at least five different products within the customer landscape, and the way we do it is not only by implementing every single scanner again, but it's actually implementing every single scanner again, but then taking the data all together and fusing it in a way that makes it much more valuable. So I think the, this ability to innovate exists across numerous spaces, at least from what I see. We are operating in cloud security. Within security, there are multiple areas that can go through the same transformation uh, using this technique. So the fragmented world can move into a unified one and a much clearer one and simplified one for customers if we're using the data correctly. The second thing, I think sharing the insights is ever uh, increasing in its value. And we have Snowflake here, uh, one of the key integrations that Wiz has. Of course, we have open APIs and you pull the, can pull the data. But one of the key asks is to pull all of the data into Snowflake so it can be meaningful in other contexts as well, so with other tools. So the ability to create not only the insights, but also to uh, provide them in an open manner and you know, leverage them again in other uh, uh, experiences, other business values for the customer is also a huge opportunity as we see it. So you would say it's the combination of the integration of data that would historically have been disparate, um, and then the taking of that data and making it essentially open for subsequent use. Those, exactly. Those two things. And I think, again, like I mentioned earlier, the model is also very important. Uh, data models help customers think clearly clearer about a certain problem. Mm -hmm. And I think that creating a good model, one that is intuitive and easy to use, is critical as an additional value set, and that's, again, use of data. Okay. Elise, what would you consider to be the big opportunity that we're facing now? Yeah, I mean, I think I completely agree with the point around, you know, you need to eliminate all these data silos. Until you get all the data into one place, you're kind of dealing with these fragments of information, and you get a lot of very murky signal. I think what I'd say is, is where, we're, where we are now is that I think we have this very integrated view. It's very fast for teams to access data. I think now people need to put more energy into figuring out, okay, what do you do with that data? And I think that we actually sometimes, like, we go too deep into the data. We have all this telemetry data. We launch a new feature. We're looking at it. We're watching it. We know who's using it. We're seeing all these beautiful you know, charts and graphs. But that doesn't actually tell us why they're using it or what they like about it or whether they'll keep using it. So I think that you know, we've now kind of made it such that it's much more streamlined to get the data that you need to have that shared data foundation where all the different people are looking at that same view of the customer data or the product usage data. So you're not spending time either kind of moving data around, you're not spending time debating the definitions or agreeing on what the data is, is that's in front of you. Um, now the real debates need to happen around, so what do you do about it and what does it mean? And I think that we need to make sure people continue to use data as an input, but also to go talk to their customers, particularly on the B2B side of things, right? Go talk to your customers. Go ask them what they like about you know, a feature or a product that you launched, because I think sometimes you can over-rotate, and then you're really kind of, you know, you're, you're optimizing maybe to a kind of a local maximum rather than seeing the big picture. 
Um, but I think that breaking down of silos means that you actually now have time to spend you know, on those hard questions because the data foundation is more solid. And, and, and are those gaps um, technology gaps or, or culture gaps or just process gaps or something else? I think it's, it's culture. Right. Because I mean, I, I don't think it's a technology gap. Like I think we have pretty amazing technologies. I think there's really, really skilled data people. But I think the question is, as an organization, are you pushing people to say, that's great that that's what the data tells you. No, you know, what, what insight, what unique insight do you have that you're layering on top of it? What do you think it means? What else could it mean? And that you're having that culture of debate around data and not saying like, well, the chart you know, shows me this, so let's move on, you know? Yeah, yeah. What's your, what's your view? Has the world changed and what are the yes, opportunities? Yes, it it, has? yes, definitely. Right? So what exi- I've been in the data space for yeah, too long, I guess, right? What really excites me the, though is um, even, even well, five plus years ago, the concept of um, AI and uh, making a difference to, um, uh, to the, the, set of, uh, the set of capabilities that you provide was still something that you would deploy, but now it, is, it, is, it happens every day, right? It's basically become normal within every business unit to be able to deploy AI. For example, uh, we have uh, pickers in, a, in an FC. They have to, uh, how do you come up with the most optimal way in which a picker in an FC goes and fulfills an order, or the drivers who are actually delivering the goods, or um, a search algorithm, finding out the right, um, the right product and putting that in front of the customer, right? E- and each and every one of these use cases, um, the data has enabled us to basically think in terms of the ML algorithms, think in terms of enabling them, and that was not true even even few years ago, right? So that uh, has become standardized now, especially the retail industry. You have to go do each of these, and that's what excites me today. And I think we are still getting started on that journey. Though. I think we are still scratching the surface on what we can do with it. The the things we can do later is probably um, a lot more. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to come back to you with yes. a question, uh, which is that often when we get into this subject, people want to know, you know, is it better to think of some centralized data lake or something, or is it better to kind of keep data separate for governance reasons or just kind of you know, low, low, lower investment reasons or something? Um, what's your view on, uh, on how people should think about um, the use of data? Is it, is, is it a centralized model? Is it a decentralized model or something else? Yeah. yeah. Um... I uh, have been in companies where we have actually tried both. Um, eBay was very much uh, centralized. We had a massive investment into this gigantic Hadoop clusters, 20,000 plus nodes of Hadoop clusters. I've gone um, the, with Intuit, it was, uh, it was a mix. It was more of a hybrid. And then with Coupang, I think we are probably um, more, um, I think the difference between the two, right, is um, the central platforms always never have the agility to to go address all the needs of, um, of the business units. A business unit always wants to go much faster. Uh, but there is always uh, another pull, which is um, uh, a business unit probably will never think as much in terms of the data security, uh, data governance, et cetera. So you need a mix of both. You need a core team that is actually taking care of uh, this is this is I would call it as a tax for using the data, right? You need to keep it secure. You need to actually make sure it is uh, there is proper governance on it. But you allow the business units to be able to uh, be agile enough to be able to. Um, uh, address the use cases that they are interested in. So for me, the answer is it's a, it's a hybrid model that actually works the best. Right? Okay. 
at least, um, is, is there some an element of how customer experience can drive that kind of centralization or non-centralization? And, and if so, how does, that, how does that help with innovation? Yeah, so I think we, you know, at Snowflake, we've taken a very similar approach to what you described, which is we do have a centralized data platform that happens to be Snowflake. We call it Snowhouse internally. Um, and that is where we take care of things, like making sure that we have you know, a, a common view of the customer and our customer attributes. We don't have conflicting, you know, multiple sources of truth. We handle security, we handle governance, all our policies are enforced in a central data platform. We have a very small team that handles that. Um, and it primarily focuses on getting the right data into Snowhouse. But then in terms of how we go innovate and drive value from that data, it's completely decentralized data teams. So we have a data team that's embedded within marketing. We have a data team in sales. You know, every function has their own group of folks who are really focused on solving business problems, as you said. And they are now aligned with us as kind of business owners to prioritize and to say, you know, what do we care about? What do we need to go solve? Where do we want to go spend resources? And I think that really tight alignment out with the business makes you use data much more efficiently and productively because when it's a central team and there's some sort of like queue that you can throw requests into, like it seems it's both like free and also never ever gets done. So it creates this culture of like everyone complains about the data team. They've asked for a hundred things, by the way, then like when they get built, nobody uses them. And so you see that these that team's frustrated. So having this model where like the, the folks like, you know, I sit right near, you know, one of the guys on our team. And so if he has a question about why we're doing something or what I'm trying to get out of the data, like we're very much teammates versus it being some anonymous data team. Um, and it works really, really well. And then we have folks, you know, for example, if we're doing lead scoring, that's owned by marketing, but that is a resource that can then, you know, that's a, a data product that can be used by other teams. So it's documented, there's an owner, it's very clear throughout the organization, um, and, how, and then people can build on each other's data products. So that model work, works well for us, and I think it kind of takes care of the tax that you describe, <laughs> um, but make sure that innovation happens around data and that the teams feel empowered to move really fast. It sounds like uh, if you can do it, then having a centralized model is great. Uh, yes. But uh, it's not always possible, and so sometimes you have to do something else. Yep. So you know, you're, you're, uh, you're talking earlier about how data is at the core of your, of your product, and that, um, and that this whole concept of a sort of a, a, a central model is actually a sort of a matter of, of, of principle for you. Mm -hmm. How does that work? So. Um yeah, so basically when we started, what we wanted to deliver is a simplified security promise across any architecture, any cloud, any risk that you use. And the first thing that we needed to do is to think, how do we represent this in a way that is uh, consumable, easy to understand, extensible as well as we keep building the product? And that's where we came up with our uh, cloud security data model that we basically, interestingly enough, in order to make it generic enough, uh, we started by onboarding two clouds in parallel. So we wanted to make sure we are not attached too much to one single cloud in the way we are thinking about it. Uh, very fast, we went to supporting three clouds in parallel. Uh, and then we actually finished in a place where we really have a, a cloud agnostic model that allows security teams to much easier understand the risks and so on. Now, the data model is what started everything. The data model was graph-based, so we had to implement 
all of the, uh, you know, all of the, the data ingestion into the graph and keep it intact over time as uh, these environments are very, uh, I would say, dynamic, ephemeral, so that was one. And the second thing, what we also learned is that it allows us to explain concepts that are very complex in a very simple way to customers. So it, uh, the data model actually acted as a buffer between the complexity of the underlying cloud uh, and actually simplified it for whoever wanted to use it. So that was really the core of Wiz. Everything we did from that moment actually extended this graph. When we're looking today at what are the challenges that customers uh, want to solve also with Wiz is to use the core graph that we created but ingest their own signals into Wiz in order to contextualize them and make sense of them using this graph. So, uh, when you asked about the graph, yes, so the simplicity, it drives simplicity, consistency, and also ease of use, and extensibility in the end across any customer that uses with. So that's key, that was yeah. key. Yeah. So key in your case um, is the data model, in this particular case, a graph data model, and uh, I, I, I smile when I, when I hear that because with graphs, what we always see is that people either really need it and really get it and really exploit it or not, don't quite understand why there's such a thing as a graph database. Um, but, um, but, but what I do take from that is that there's enabling technology to do that. Yes. Um, and so the, uh, the notion of a graph data model is, is rel relatively easy to understand. But to have a, a product like Neptune there to be able to do that, um, are there other things that you feel enable the technologically that enabled uh, what you're doing? Yeah, so basically Neptune was a key enabler for uh, running this graph as a service at the scale we, we are connected to today to some of the largest cloud environments and it's implementing using one graph instance which is really amazing. Um, the other thing that uh, um, was also uh, basically keys, not only relying on the graph, but also running in parallel with a relational database. So practically every single data point in Wiz is stored twice, once in the graph, and the second time in a relational database, and they serve for very different purposes. One is for large-scale reporting, exports, and so on, and the other one is for, conte for context and so on. So it's actually this uh, tandem like data architecture that allowed us to move. Both of them are powered by AWS, so, uh, but basically it's a very different data you know, approach in each one, Combined, they provide us the way to really scale out. Mm -hmm. So this was a tech that uh, enabled Wiz in the end. Right. Okay. So, um, so Elise, uh, Snowflake, of course, is a fantastic partner of AWS, and I think you were about to tell me that Snowflake does everything that you, you needed to do. <laughs> I'm just wondering if there's if there's technology that you feel is enabling of this data strategy that you've been describing. You know, I mean, we obviously we use Snowflake heavily, but Snowflake, you know, is part of an ecosystem. And I think, you know, we we use a number of different products in our stack. As I was alluding to, you know, there are different data owners of different products. We use Alation to provide kind of cataloging and visibility internally. Um, you know, we use DBT for data modeling. So there are a number of other, you know, different technologies that come together to kind of make this possible. Um, and we're, you know, we're always internally testing, you know, yeah. different options and how to build for us what the best stack is, and that's very customer specific. Right? Yeah. So, Shu, what's your what's what's your sort of view of the, the technology enablers of this, of, of of the kind of 
data repositories you've been talking about? Uh, we are all into AWS. We do so. Um, our data lake is completely on an S3 uh, based implementation. We have close to 32 petabytes of data um, right. on S3, and um, the data warehousing is Redshift. It is um, it's close to two petabytes of uh, data warehouses Redshift. We um, actively use EMRs. We have close to 2,000 uh, plus EMRs that we sp uh, that we process uh, spawn every day. Um, we are a big AWS guy, so we don't use yeah. anything else. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, we do, but the, the stack to, uh, uh, to basically uh, combine the stack, we have homegrown some, some amount of components. The experimentation platform was something that we built ourselves. The, um, the ML, uh, ML infrastructure, we built some of the ML infrastructure, which is um, Jupyter Notebooks running on EC2 infrastructure. We um, use open source for training, for serving, et cetera. But the underlying infrastructure is all AWS that powers all of these yeah. things. Maybe, uh, one, maybe one more thing I should mention, now that you uh, said it. Um, the uh, key capability, and you talked about ML a lot. Mm -hmm. I told you that I will explain uh, how we are not using ML and why. <laughs> and uh, just to tap on this for a second, because the graph is what allowed us to move away from ML. So security for years in order to create you know, deep models and learning had to apply ML, but ML also create a uh, creates a lot of uh, black box experience from the customers. So why did this trigger? Why did this didn't trigger? Right. So uh, basically, the ability to use instead of ML uh, complex graph queries. And you said whoever gets it gets it. Whoever don't. So it's hard. But graph allows you to ask very complex questions, um, but deterministically. And the ability to ask these questions on top of large graphs. This is what allowed us to move away from uh, running ML models. And this actually creates highly explainable results to customer. Like these are the conditions, these are the graph paths that we're after. If we see one, you will get this alert. Now this explainability uh, is a key component in adopting security tooling. I think that it's key uh, because no one wants to rely on something that is not predictable, especially if it's file drills in your you know, Friday evenings. Uh, so basically, this is uh, a key capability that uh, yeah. Graph enabled as well. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's interesting. Explainability in certain applications is absolutely critical. In other applications, it's less so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and I wasn't really asking about, uh, about AWS or not AWS so much as that I think that, the, the, that in general, the technologies are available now. Okay. You can build a data lake. You can run Athena on it. You can run EMR on it. You can run ML and AI and so forth. Um, and that's really where a lot of this is coming from. Mm -hmm. and, and in a case like Wiz, where you, don't, where, where you need that greater kind of explainability and traceability of why a decision was, an automated decision was made, um, there are technologies like graph databases to be able to do that. I wanted to just move on, and at least this one is maybe one you can, you can kick off on, which is around really sort of um, customer 360 data, because we've been talking about data, and we've been talking about data technologies and so forth. And I suppose the question here is, how do you feel that customer data can be brought into this um, to help driving the business forward? 
Yeah, so we use customer data to kind of feed our entire you know, go-to-market motion. So one of our kind of core principles at Snowflake is that sales and marketing is really one team. Like the customer should be experiencing touches from marketing, touches from sales as if it's kind of one integrated flow. Um, so we pull together from a, a marketing perspective. We have a bunch of you know, first-party data. We have a bunch of third-party intent signal we use. Um, we have a bunch of product telemetry data. We do have a trial, so a lot of you know, people we're selling to are actually already in the product using it. Um, and we've kind of pulled all of that together and um, integrated into a, like an action view for our sales team. So that we, you know, we own lead scoring and suggesting which leads should be reached out to. The sales intelligence team owns opportunity scoring. But to the sales team, it's just showing up as one kind of actionable dashboard that gives them all the signal that they need to actually go have a meaningful conversation with the customer. Because we always want to show up kind of knowing what they're telling us through the data, right? And starting the conversation from a place of already having some understanding of what's important to them, what problems they're trying to solve. So really, you know, when it comes to our sales team, it's interesting this discussion around kind of explainability. We're somewhere in the middle where, you know, our sales team, we use a lot of ML. We try to drive, you know, recommendations and next best actions and all of that. Um, our sales team doesn't necessarily want to know exactly how we got there. Like, they don't want to trace through the whole decision tree. But that said, if it feels too black boxy or they can't see any sort of, you know, kind of input into that model, then they question it. And they're like, they don't want to stick their neck out based on something that marketing is pushing over to them. So we try to strike that balance of making a recommendation, but also surfacing the kind of data that, that is feeding that model. So they build confidence. And then as they have success with those models, they're more likely to trust them in the future. Um, so we, you know, we definitely have a very sales-led motion versus kind of a product-led growth company. But still, I think the expectation going forward is that even a very sales-focused company is putting data to work. And that's both to make a better customer experience, but also to drive sales productivity, which is a, a metric that's super important for software companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I wanted to ask you on this topic of sort of more customer-oriented data. Um, your company, by the way, has a very impressive hyper-growth early-stage company that seems to, seems to have no limit to where, where you're getting to. So congratulations on that. You've talked about how internally it's very, very data-driven. Would you consider the company to have a data culture outside of that and its go-to-market and so forth? And, and if so, how did you and your co-founders build that? So actually, we are uh, less using data. I'm uh, actually with Elise on this one. We are B2B, so for us, engagement with customers and talking with customers and actually understanding the challenges is the uh, guiding principle. I will, say that, I will say that in general, we do have very um, strict rules on how we think of data. One, we are using Snowflake for the customer 360 data and driving a very similar experience to what Elise mentioned internally. Uh, but where we are uh, really strict on you know, the, the culture of data that we have is like, what do we store? Why do we store it? And how do we minimize it? I think our roots all go to, if I can say, we were part of the Microsoft uh, uh, team uh, in the past. But uh, we really uh, were ingrained with, you need to think thoroughly about every single piece of data that you store. Why would it scale? And I think that these questions are creating a very healthy culture of data that everything is very deliberate. and. Um, um, for, for a reason, and the second thing, it's very transparent for the customers. So 
Everything that we, everything we have access to, all of the permissions, all of the data that we store are actually available to customers. It creates a transparency and also very high awareness to always keep least privileges. We don't want to, we don't want to have data as a baggage, right? We want to keep data uh, actionable and usable at scale. And I would say that these are the principles that drive the culture of data uh, that we do have within engineering and uh, the other teams. Right. I'm sure that customer data is very central to how you do things. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. But if actually, I'll probably go back one uh, earlier example, which is um, which was Intuit. Intuit probably had the most advanced uh, customer 360 data model you could ever think of. I think the um, uh, customer 360 value grows exponentially because you had four or five different products actually combining to uh, then you are your sum is actually bigger than the individual paths. Um, but the underpinning of any of the customer, data, the customer data platforms is the infrastructure that is needed. It is the scale at which Intuit, for example, had close 100, 100 million plus customers, mass, massive number of attributes around the customers that are constantly recomputed. And the access to, I think one of the interesting things with a, a customer 360 is the access patterns for that are very different than traditional analytics or ML, right? You are not actually uh, doing more offline you are looking at the customer attributes in um, in the in the flow of the transaction for uh, for a particular for a particular uh, use case. So um, the uh, the infrastructure is a key to basically build uh, these things, the uh, customer three hundred and sixty platforms. Yeah, yeah. I mean, aside from that infrastructure, what what do you think would be the lessons that? a product company should take away. Um, I'm, I'm thinking there must be some things that you shouldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good question, yeah. The, um, uh, the, the biggest things that, at least the things that come to my mind is the customer data actually uh, is, um, is something, is the core of um, what a company uh, is responsible for, is the core IP. I mean, the type of, um, uh, I'll probably go back to my favorite things is the security and the governance that you put around it is actually, so one, the one thing you should definitely not do is uh, have, an, have an ability for your customer data to be, to be breached, right? So you probably need to put in as much security around that as possible. And um, there is, across all the three companies I've been in, the amount of effort we put into the abil our ability to st uh, to protect our PII, it's probably the one of the biggest in biggest investments we do in uh, in any of these areas. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, Elise, are there are there structured programs for getting product feedback from customers? Um, do you do you have something of that sort? Yeah. So we we have a few different kind of vectors by which we get product feedback. So. One, if we're already developing a product, as we start to bring it out to market, we preview it. So, and you guys have a very similar process, but you know, we put something into private preview. We, you know, invite a very small set of early customers to hammer on it and tell us what's good about it, and what's terrible about it, and what they would need out of it to really like put it into production for their use cases. So that's a kind of in a feature when you're in the development cycle, getting very targeted feedback. Um, but the, that's that the point you know, the product is in motion, right? So we also upstream from that. Um, we have a number of different mechanisms of collecting kind of slightly wider, you know, 
aperture feedback. So we have a Black Diamond customer council, which are you know kind of deep, deep customer relationships that give us feedback less on like what feature we're going to build, but more what problems are we solving and what problems do they want Snowflake to solve. Um, and then maybe one level upstream from that, we do an annual NPS survey, and we ask customers through that you know, a number of questions around their satisfaction, but more fundamentally, are we delivering against these you know, core principles, and what would they like to see us do differently? Um, and then on top of that, we have a couple thousand sales and sales <laughs> engineers who are out there talking to customers, as you were saying, every single day. Yeah. And we're a very customer-obsessed company, so they are loud uh, internally. They bring a ton of feedback into the product team. I think that, you know, if anything, I think our product team has a challenge with how to actually distill and synthesize and make decisions across the amount of signal they get um, versus being lacking for, for signal. I, I, I love the phrase customer obsessed, of course. Yes. <laughs> um, and you probably, value, I think. <laughs> you probably know that in AWS, we, um, about 90% of our roadmap is determined entirely by customers. Yep. And, um, I think ours is similar. That might, sound, that might sound like we're just saying it, but it's actually yep. the way we do it. Uh, and it is gathering data, uh, finding out, you know, it's, as on a very broad scale, obviously, they've got a number of customers, and, uh, and driving off of that, driving your roadmap off of that, which is, um, which is different. You know, that's, yep. I mean, I think historically our industry has been driven mostly by smart people having good instincts and building things they think that customers want. You know, is that, does that make any sense to you, or do you have a, a different view of, of how you build roadmaps? No, I, I completely understand. Another thing that we keep, um, we're really strict about is always looking at what existing customers are asking for and not the new ones. Um, I think that um, having this, uh, uh, Wiz, by the way, has an NPS score of 10, which is amazing. And by, basically, um, we keep going to the same customers that are using Wiz and keep asking them, so what would help you drive more value from what you have today? No, no additional licenses, no additional modules. How would you use what you have today even more? And that's uh, actually what guiding us uh, uh, through our roadmap building. And I think, you know, uh, I wish we'd scale to uh, the size of Snowflake and uh, AWS, right? But uh, that's exactly the path that uh, we are on. I will say that it helps a lot that, uh, you know, coming uh, uh, the, the core team, so we came from actually the, the Azure security, internal and external security products. So experiencing this internally as a customer, like how do you do security at scale? What are the challenges? And also working across hundreds of customers on what, how they are experiencing it. I think this creates a lot of uh, customer empathy uh, that is really in our core. Like in the end, we, we know how it feels like to be on the other side trying to you know, work with teams and driving and pushing security upstream. And we know the amount of friction it creates. And I think this customer-centric you know, empathy, maybe, I should say, this is what drives us through. I think I'll just add kind of one other shift that's happened in the industry, I think, is the movement to consumption business mm -hmm. models. True. So, you know, Snowflake, I think you guys, AWS, a lot of us, you know, charge our customers based on what they use rather than what they buy. And I think that that shift has changed so many behaviors within the organization because you're so much more compelled to build products that are what people actually want to use. Um, and as a sales team, really understanding what customers are using versus, you know, declaring victory when you sell a big contract. 
Um, I think that's been an awesome shift for customers yeah. And, yeah. and one that I think a lot of, especially emerging companies, are, are leaning into. Yeah, yeah. You, you are actually able to track the adoption of a feature too, right? Absolutely. Which, which yeah. was probably used to be a lot longer cycle before. Now you yeah. immediately know, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. The day it launches, you yeah. have <laughs> instant visibility. Yeah, and, and obviously, therefore, a driver for more being data-driven. Yes. Yep. So, you know, and I wanted to kind of switch gears a bit and ask you about um, the other kind of data that um, I know we take very seriously is, is, where, is monitoring and is observability and, and, and all of that stuff, um, tracking how your systems are running and what they're doing and what's being used and what isn't being used and so forth. Um, how does that fit into your data-driven strategy? Yeah, so first we use Wiz for Wiz, like uh, Snow, Snow House, yep. we call it. Snow House, we have Wiz for Wiz. Wiz House. Uh, we should house. call it Wiz House, actually. <laughs> I like it. Uh, but it's, it's key, again, to create empathy. This is what the DevOps teams are seeing, the engineers, so the amount of empathy it creates and is, is amazing, but uh, and signal to the product team. But that's also uh, at the core. The other thing, you know, we are, by design, we're 100% uh, pass-based, right? So we are using everything that has as a service, we will use it. So we are, we're using all of your services uh, <laughs> in order to consume. And I think that the other benefit that this drives is that actually there is a really good layer of observability, security, reliability built into the past. So there is a significant offload. And, you know, my previous experiences, uh, we actually had built these solutions uh, as a self-managed solution. So we have our own databases that we needed to scale and make sure we have the observability and reliability capabilities. And this, uh, over time, required us to invest so, many, so much resources in something that, you know, in the end, we really hope to get as a service. And this is why this time we actually chose to go as a service with anything that we can use as a service. And a lot of, when you look at your, going back to your question, a lot of the reliability, observability, like these capabilities are so built in today to the past offering. It's a checkbox for us. We enable it and we get the best, the latest and greatest that uh, um, like AWS Snowflake has to offer in that sense. So it really keeps us at the forefront versus what would have been if we built our own systems from scratch, right? So uh, that's definitely there. And do you have structured processes for using that data? How does that work? Yeah, we have very strict processes, especially as we're going also through FedRAMP now and lots of compliances. So the processes, we have actually ported them from the enterprise experiences we had before. So the ability to build right at the get-go, and for those of you who are in the, I would say, earlier phase of the journey, Wiz was so compliant as soon as we had, like, as soon as we could have been so compliant. And we went through all of these processes, not in order to get the compliance, as much as to make sure we have all of the processes built in into how do we access production, how do we use the data, what data do we store, what is the process to store lead, uh, data, how do legal get involved. Uh, so all of these processes are baked into the way we are doing business from the very first day uh, in Wiz. And I think that this, over time, this creates an agility that is hard, like it creates um, discipline, it creates a, like a very deliberate process on how do you access data, how do you use the data, and I think it creates really solid foundations. And I didn't think about the change in consumption model, but I think we are now in a world that is much more 
requires you to be regulated, compliant, and uh, provide a much better visibility to customers on how do you do security and why. And I think this also drives a significant change because we understand that at the very first line of code we start writing, we need to think about how will we provide this uh, moving forward to customers. So it drives a lot of awareness. Yeah. And it's good. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Sasha, I'm going to jump over to you. Obviously, mm -hmm. you've got some very, very large scale things to, to monitor and track and keep secure and so forth. Um, how does all of this kind of data fit into your strategy? Yeah, um, so the, um, make the, if you have downtime with respect to the data, the impact that you have on the business is immediate. You have probably stale uh, search results. You have, um, you have um, uh, decisions that you are making on your inventory. For example, the out-of-stock inventory. Or you would end up going and ordering the wrong set of items because you were, actually, you were not able to get the processing done in time. So ability to monitor our infrastructure, ability to ensure that we are quickly able to remediate uh, any issues that we run into is, uh, is super critical. One of the things that is catching on as a term is uh, the, this notion of uh, observability around the data. It is you monitor the infrastructure, but you also monitor uh, the data on top of that infrastructure. You basically see is the data of the right quality, the right freshness, the right, um, uh, the, is it, can I use the data to, uh, to um, solve the use cases that I'm interested in? And um, that, is, that is something that we are spending a lot of uh, investment into, and it is, it is core to what the data platform does uh, in Copang. Right? Yeah. And has that changed very much since uh, in, in, in recent years, or is that pretty much what you've... The, I think the emphasis on um, the notion of what is data observability, I think it's becoming more clearer what, what that term means. Um, there, is a com there is companies that are actually selling a product called data observability product. So in that sense, that, the clarity around it, it used to be a lot of things. Now we know exactly what that means. And that is a trend that I'm seeing today. Yeah. Yeah. At least you're in a sort of a, an interesting position. First of all, you're on the marketing side, so you probably don't spend all of your time watching sort of uh, infrastructure <laughs> data. Um, but at the same time, you're also, uh, you also have a product that uh, is very much involved in all of this. What's, what's your view on it from a Snowflake perspective? Yeah, I think you know, for us, we, it kind of comes back to that question around like a centralized data platform. Um, and what, where we really try to focus is doing as much as we can to kind of what we, we call it, like bringing work to the data rather than moving data to the work. Because I think our belief is like if the data is in our central data platform in Snowhouse, um, we have confidence in it. You know, we've you know built on top of AWS. We have built a ton of security capabilities and monitoring and all that. And we we kind of have confidence that we can keep that secure with the right governance policies and rules and compliance and all that. So if we never move it out of Snowhouse, we're in really good shape. So now when we bring in new technologies, we work with partners, et cetera, we use our data sharing capabilities. We've now launched Snowpark, which allows you to push processing down into Snowflake and other languages besides SQL. We're kind of innovating in all of these ways to make sure that we're never moving data around because we think that is kind of the biggest risk you take around security and governance is the, as soon as you kind of let it out of the system that you really feel confident in. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So I did want to just get, um, just to kind of uh, close this off, get a view from each of you about um, what advice you would give to, uh, to, to a, a, a software company, product company, 
um, on the data platform side? What's the, what's the thing that you would do today if you were, if, if you were in some new company and, 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 and driving the strategy? You know, would you like to take that? Yeah, I, I think that the, the initial um, topics we discussed were exactly like my, my advice would be, like be very deliberate on uh, how you're using uh, data, uh, what is the use case, uh, be extremely uh, uh, specific with the model that you prescribe and make sure that it addresses the problem you are trying to solve. And I think that doing it right, like the thing with data that I think it's uh, much harder to fix later on than any other type of uh, things you may have gotten wrong in the first place. So your data model, your, your way of thinking of the data and the architecture should really be excellent at the get-go. So put enough effort in th into thinking what is the right tooling, what is the right data you want to keep, what is the right model, so you can accelerate and have the right velocity when you move forward. So that would be, like, make sure you get it right in the first place. Design first. Design first, especially with data. <laughs> Elise, what would be your sort of top, top suggestion? Other than using Snowflake, which I have to say. <laughs> um, no, I really agree with that sentiment of having done a couple of startups as well. You know, there are a lot of things that you can be pretty kind of scrappy and fast and loose with and realize that, like, you're going to do something, you're probably going to throw it away later, and that's okay because you're learning as you go. Um, I think kind of setting up that right data foundation, that platform, the right governance, mm -hmm. like that, you have to get right from the beginning. Um, and I think the thing I'd add on to it is, uh, is kind of building that culture across every team, even the teams that are further and further away from data, to teach them how to be really hypothesis-driven. Because I think sometimes there's this feeling of like, data's free, we can use data for everything. And you're like, great, what do you want? And people just come up with a laundry list. And it doesn't actually get used or put into practice. So kind of teaching that culture, saying, you know what, like, let's really, like, let's know the questions we're asking, let's be hypothesis-driven, that informs the data model, right? And being thoughtful as data consumers in addition to platform owners um, up front, I think is powerful. Yeah, yeah. Tisha, what's your view and where would you start? Yeah, uh, the way I'd probably look at this is even, um, even probably um, five, 10 years ago, you would say what constitutes a data platform would be uh, a large number of things. I think the biggest trend I would see though is, is a rapid consolidation, right? The, the blueprint of what a data platform should look like is definitely, um, like is is becoming more solid. Any company you would go to, you would actually see that same blueprint. Um, there is a set of AWS infrastructure, Snowflake. The the set of things that you have is consolidating. I would probably um, focus, maybe not bring too much of variability at that underlying stack, and then bring the value added, invest in the value added services, and not put too much emphasis on the lower level of the stack. Is is how I would. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I would just sort of say that uh, from an AWS data perspective, um, what we see commonly across everything is every customer, whether they're product customers or end user customers, uh, everyone is moving more and more to being data driven, moving more and more to how can I take my operational data and get it into some kind of a data lake or a warehouse or, or Snowflake or whatever it is, um, using more and more AI, using more and more ML. Um, and, but it's very different, and we've sort of seen that, that, it, you know, that, that people coming at it from different directions. We have a kind of a purpose-built approach to that. We'll, we'll offer a bunch of different things, and we have partners that offer things uh, to help you with that. But um, if in your organization you're not 
driving in this direction. It's something that we'd encourage you to look at. Um, it's the pattern that we're seeing across the board and, and something we're investing in quite heavily. I just want to, um, to, to, to thank um, our accomplished panel uh, for their time. Um, this, is, this has been interesting. I didn't know exactly where they were going to go with this, but it's interesting that they've more or less uh, supported everything that, uh, that AWS thinks about, about these topics. So thanks, everybody. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the AWS for Software Companies podcast. 